So for the last uh, couple weeks, we've taken a step back in our study of the Holy Spirit um, so that we could talk about um, the nature of God a little more generally um, and particularly focusing on the Trinity. Um, having established that the scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit is God and that the Spirit possesses personality, we needed to spend a little time talking about the triune nature of God. And while the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, Christians develop this language about God to represent the teachings of the Bible, to hold together the truth that there is only one God and that this one God is called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's only one God whom we confess and worship, but that one God includes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without any hint of contradiction. So last week we focused on uh, what um, theologians call the economic trinity, how these three persons relate to each other in the outward structuring of their activities. While all three are equally God, and each is always involved in creating, redeeming, and sustaining the world, the Bible assigns distinct relations and work to each person. As we saw last week, the Son did not give the Father, nor was the Father called the only begotten. The Father did not perform the redemptive work. It was the Son uh, who came, became, took on flesh and died on the cross. Um, nor, was, uh, um, nor was the Spirit the one who took on flesh. Um, so even though the Father and the Son are equal in power and glory and being, nevertheless, there's an outward subordination of the Son to the Father. The Father and the Son together send the Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not send the Father and the Son. In terms of our redemption, last week we talked about how the New Testament assigns the Father primarily the role of ori originating the plan of salvation, um, forming uh, before all eternity his redemptive plan, uh, that the Son executes this plan through his incarnation and sacrifice, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit applies that redeeming work of Christ to us, making it effective in us by uniting us to Christ. So this week, and for um, really, in many ways, for the rest of the course, we're going to be focusing on the distinctive work of the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk a lot about the particular work of the Holy Spirit last week in terms of the Trinity, because I knew we were going to be doing that, well... <laughs> for a long time. Um, uh, and so we're going to be looking what the scriptures say about, um, about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we said a little last week about the work of the Holy Spirit um, in terms of God's redemptive plan, but what does the Holy Spirit do outside of redemption? Or another way to ask the question is, how is the Holy Spirit active in the world before Christ's coming? How is the Holy Spirit active in the world before Pentecost and the um, formal gift of the Spirit to the church? Uh, so for the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament um, to see what it teaches us about um, the broader work of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as often happens in redemptive history, we kind of start um, big and narrow in. Um, as we move forward in time and in Revelation, um, the scriptures become more and more particular about the role of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to see foundationally um, uh, um, what, what the Old Testament teaches about the Holy Spirit. Um, I, and I was really struck. Um, one of the things I've, I've been reading um, talked about this, how, isn't it interesting, like the Holy Spirit, if you read the Gospels, the Holy Spirit shows up like instantly at the beginning of every gospel. Um, and, and Jesus is just constantly referring to the work of the Holy Spirit. And nobody ever raises an objection. I mean, think of all the pharisaical and sadducial and teachers of the law objections to Jesus' teachings. No one ever raises their hand and says, what's the Holy Spirit? Why do you keep talking about the Holy Spirit? Um, so there's got to be some kind of common understanding about what the Holy Spirit is, um, and we'll see that kind of common understanding of what the Old Testament calls the Spirit of God. 
Um, so this week, as we're looking at the work of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, we're going to particularly focus on the work of the Holy Spirit in creation. So today, uh, our, our focus is the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit um, does in God's work of creation. So turn with me to the creation account uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 1. We have creation of the entire uh, world. And then chapter 2 focusing uh, more particularly on the creation of man and placing man in the garden. So we don't have time to read the entirety of uh, the creation story, but traditionally Christians see in the creation story a couple places where we, um, uh, where we might um, see the Holy Spirit as at work in this original creation account. So um, uh, the first of these we looked at a couple of weeks ago in terms of the difficulty of translating spirit um, in Hebrew. Uh, verse 2 the earth was out was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And you know, I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago how that could be, and is. I mean, if you look at the New Revised Standard Version, if you look at a um, Jewish Bible translated in English, they usually say the wind of God there. Um, or sometimes you, you have the breath of God is, is also possible. The other verse um, in chapter 1 where people see um, possibly uh, reference made to the Trinity or the Holy Spirit in creation is verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So they are those three plural pronouns. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so um, that often is interpreted in the Christian church as a reference to the Trinity, including the Holy Spirit. So my first question uh, for today is, are these two verses um, alone enough to give the Holy Spirit a definitive role in creation? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Are those two verses alone enough to establish the Holy Spirit's definite role in creation? Yes, John. Yeah, it could be just referring to God generally. Or it could be referring, again, it could be, and it is translated, the wind of God. It could just be, again, some kind of external manifestation of, of the one God's presence in creation. So, um, so that is kind of the barrier that, um, that we have to understand exists. Uh, all right, what about some of the rest of you? Are these verses alone sufficient enough to establish the spirit a definitive role in creation. Yeah, it's vague, but I like how you talk about, um, you know, how later we'll see, I mean, do we see the sun's definitive role in, in the creation account? And if we just had Genesis 1 and 2, could we say the sun has a definitive role in creation? Not really. <laughs> but does the sun have a definitive role in creation? John sure says he does. <laughs> in the beginning was the word. <laughs> And through the word were all things made. Nothing was made apart from the word. You know, so as we think about it, I mean, you're putting your finger right on the, the, the key issue. That just because we're not seeing it fully expressed in this chapter doesn't mean that 
it, it's not present, it's, but we do have to admit it's vague. You know, we have to be humble and sort of recognize um, that, yes, as it's presented here, it's not crystal clear, but we read the Bible through the cross. I mean, I cannot, I am on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, and I cannot look at the Old Testament without looking through that cross. And in another sense, I'm on this side of Pentecost. I can't look at the Old Testament, you know, without, um, without seeing the, the gift and the role of the Holy Spirit. So where we're positioned, um, we're looking at these texts, um, you know, through the eyes of our faith, through the eyes of the, uh, looking at the, what the New Testament um, expands about what the Old Testament teaches. Um, good. What else? You know, are these um, verses sufficient to teach the definitive work of the Holy Spirit? Um, yeah, Mark. Yeah, because we because we have that that the reference to that word here, and as Jonathan said, well, you know, you could take it as just you know, God, God is spirit, so it could just be a reference to that kind of um, you know, generic existence of the spirit God making a material world, um, and that's one of the things we're seeing here. Um, um, so you know, what we want to want us to wrestle with is well, what. What is the ground on which we as the Christian church can look and say that that reference in verse 2 isn't just to, um, to winds, <laughs> um, it's, and it's not just reference to the generic God, but it seems to be a reference to the specific spirit. Yeah, um, that is a uh, that is a tremendous idea, Mike. <laughs> the word hovering actually shows up just one other place in the Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verse uh, eleven. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its youngs, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. So that kind of spreading out its wings um, right there, um, that's the same word for, for, for hovering. So, um, and as you said, he, you know, so we don't have, and I was thinking about this because logically we don't usually talk about the wind hovering. We talk about things hovering in the wind. Um, you know, a kite hovers in the wind, a helicopter hovers in the wind, you know. Um, but, um, uh, and in this case, an eagle hovers in the wind, and that's uh, lightning God to this eagle with this outstretched wing um, over the nest, protecting its young, and in this case, those young are Israel. And so some people have, have, have talked about just as you have God creating the whole earth and his spirit having this hovering presence over the, the creation of the earth, so here you have um, God uh, having this kind of hovering presence as he creates Israel. Um, yeah, that might be a little too much connection between the hovering. But um, you're right, to sort of look at the other language in Genesis, 
And as we think about, because I want us to think more than just kind of the spirit was there. Because, <laughs> you know, you can be hovering, like, I mean, we even talked. Yeah, I was hovering about, um, I was hovering about the Red Sox 2007 World Series championship. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, but I was hovering about. <laughs> um, and I want us to, to, and if we are just looking at Genesis 1, um, that, you know, so the spirit, and we say, yes, that's the Holy Spirit present. He's hovering. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what, what's he doing specifically in terms of creation? Um, in this verses, yeah, what, what do we have? So we know we have the Spirit. That Spirit's hovering. Jay? Yeah, that it's, you know, that, that spirit presence in verse 2 is the deliberate contrast between the uh, tohu and bohu, <laughs> the, the formlessness and chaos of uh, material realm at that moment and this ordering spirit of God. Um, and so a lot of people um, will look at this, and, and as we think about the spirit's role, more broadly, I mean, one of the things the Spirit does is the Spirit is, is the one um, who's bringing things to perfection, you know, working throughout the world to bring all things to their um, perfect end. Um, um, yeah, or the grand executor, maybe. So... Um, um, the, the one who, and I, 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 it, I was kind of put off by it a little when I first read it, but the more I thought about it, the more it makes sense. Sinclair Ferguson talks about the Holy Spirit as the executive, um, you know, and using executive in the sense of the one who, you know, gets things done, um, you know, sort of think of executive branch of our government, you know, you've got yeah, you've got the branch of government that forms laws, and you've got the branch of government, the, you know, the judiciary, that makes sure that um, what the executive does is according to the law. But you have the executive branch, which is to execute you know, the laws that have been made. Plan. <laughs> In plan. <laughs> Let's not go there. But, um, but to sort of think of that's the, the spirit... Um, is working, and again, we, um, as we'll see throughout this semester, I mean, the way the, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit is it talks about the Holy Spirit in terms of what that Spirit does. You know, we don't get a lot of the Holy Spirit says. Um, there are a couple places, but, you know, and we don't get um, a lot of the internal thought processes of the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit thinks or what the Holy Spirit wills. We know that it does those things because verses attribute those characteristics to the Spirit. But we see the Spirit getting things done. Um, and as we think of creation, um, that um, and here to sort of think of the, the Spirit is the one, and I like the way you, you said it, you know, in contrast to this chaos, the Spirit is the one who's bringing yeah, John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and as we see, um, you know, in this passage, uh, we'll, we'll start get a fuller sense of what that specific presence is bringing about. So I would say, just and because I I I, I tend to like to have lots of proof because <laughs> I teach history and I always teach students you got to have evidence. 
and just having one source <laughs> isn't um, sufficient evidence. <laughs> you know, even in our scriptures, I actually quoted, you know, it takes two witnesses to convince convict someone in the Old Testament of, of murder. Um, you know, we need multiple witnesses. And so, if, it, and as we said of the son, if all we had is the, is the Genesis account, we wouldn't have a full understanding of the son's work in creation. And I would say we don't have a full sense of the spirit's work in creation, even if we do sort of say that, yes, these are references to the Trinity and the spirit being present at the beginning of the world. So there are a couple other places in the Old Testament that um, continue to talk about the Spirit's work in creation. So turn with me to the book of Job. Um, and there are actually um, three parts in um, Job's um, discussion uh, with his friends where the role of the Spirit in creation um, comes up. Um, so, uh, if somebody could read um, Job 26.13, could I get a volunteer for Job 26.13? All right, thanks, Ronnie. Um, and then Job 33.4, Jonathan. And finally, Job 34.12 to 15. Okay. All right, so let's, uh, uh, so... You can turn along or you can just listen to these three verses, Job 26, 13, Job 33, 4, and Job 34, 12 to 15. So, uh, Ronnie, you have the first one? So there, that word breath there, again, it could be by his spirit, so referring to the spirit of God. Uh, good. Jonathan? All right. Terrific. And now, Joe. Okay. So, three times in Job, we have reference to this, um, this breath or spirit of God involved in the um, creation, and particularly the creation of man. So what do these three verses add to our understanding of the Holy Spirit's role in creation? By his breath, the heavens were, were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth and who laid on him the whole world? If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So what does those help us see about the role of the spirit? Yeah, John. Yeah, and as we think of creation, um, sometimes you get thinkers who uh, talk about, you know, we tend to think of creation as being a one-time act, you know, and that's the way it's presented to us. God made all things in six days. Um, but there's another sense in which God is, you know, none of us would exist <laughs> without God's constant work of creating. <laughs> like, and, and here... If, the, if, if God stopped giving us breath, if God withdrew his spirit, we'd all cease to exist. Um, and yeah, so there's this idea that it's the spirit who is the one who is giving life and sustaining life. That without the spirit, there is not life. Good. What else do we think about what these verses in Job teach us about the Holy Spirit in creation? Particularly, saw, did you see kind of repeated through those verses? Any words or 
ideas that you saw kind of running through all three. And uh, this is the problem of doing three verses at once. But, yeah. Yeah, sure, I'll read them again. Um, By his wind or breath, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. The spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Um, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Oh, the references. So it's Job 26, 13, Job 33, 4, and Job 34, 12 to 15, and 15 is particularly kind of important. Yeah, that's, um, he, I think you're absolutely r- right, especially that last one um, is referring back to a verse we didn't read from Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So there, um, uh, the author of Job um, emphasizing that we have life, because of of the breath of God or the spirit of God um, given to us. And without that spirit of God actively working in creation, we do not have life. Yeah, Jonathan. The fleeing, (laughs) his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Um, Yes, and there is this way that the spirit, um, and we'll especially see this when we get to the New Testament, how the new spirit, the New Testament, maybe not so much the devil, but sin, you know, that it's the spirit that's actively engaging against sin that's in us. And um, with that verse from from Job, um, uh, um, we'll see this within the Psalms. Sometimes you have the spirit's work kind of paired in a couplet with Jesus's work. So um, by his wind, the heavens were made fair, or by his spirit, and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. So um, we'll see this in the Psalms in just a minute, that, um, that sometimes the two different persons' work are being described in kind of a paired couplet in the Old Testament. So that piercing, might, the piercing hand might not be the spirit. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But we do see the spirit. Your, um, your big picture concept is right. You do see how the spirit wages war against Satan and sin in us. I think we're the battleground, and the spirit is, is waging that war uh, within us. Yeah, Jay? Yeah, and I think that was my big aha moment this week is um, that the role of the Holy Spirit doesn't change. That was the role of the Holy Spirit before the fall, you know, bringing order, bringing life. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit after the fall, (laughs) bringing order, bringing life. Um, That the the Holy Spirit um, is, 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 that is its purpose. You know, to, to bring this righteous, perfecting order to humanity, um, whether um, 
whether it's in the state of the garden or whether it's after man's been booted out of the garden and sin has infected this world, that the Spirit's job is the same. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'd never really thought of it in the, those terms before. And, um, and it really, yeah, struck me. Yeah, that it's the it's because of the spirit's presence that you know. I mean, another way we can think about you know, energy is, I mean, life. I mean, um, or animation. Um, and a lot of times, uh, people will talk about the spirit's role in creation is it's the spirit that is the animator. Um, that the, it's the spirit, and here in this passage in Job, it's the spirit that is taking lifeless matter and giving it breath, giving it life. And without the spirit, you know, it, it, it falls back to, to dust, to lifeless matter. Um, and so, um, yeah, the, the spirit, um, you know, being the one that gives life um, both before and after the fall. Um, and, you know, we'll talk a lot about this when we get to regeneration, but What's the, what's the picture of what it means to be regenerated? That we're dead <laughs> in our sins and trespasses. There's no life in us, as Paul says, until the Spirit gives us that life. Um, and, and that's what we see you know, in these verses of Job, emphasizing that it's the Spirit that gives life. It's the same, yeah, the, the breath part is the same. So the God, it's Elohim, and then, um, yeah, Almighty, so El Shaddai. And, but same word for spirit that we translate differently, um, which is, again, kind of interesting. Yeah, and take incredible comfort in that, that, you know, that, that's, that the force of that spirit is working in us. Um, that, that, this is, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Let's, because um, um, I did want us to look at a couple other passages. Um, let's go to, we'll do this one quick, because um, it's just really one verse. So let's go to the Psalms, is another place in the Old Testament where we have the spirit doing work or um, talking about the Spirit's work in um, creation. Um, so this is Psalm 33 um, and uh, verse 6. So it's a psalm about the steadfast love of the Lord. So, you know, it starts, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. And then it kind of goes through um, the, the different uh, word and works of God. Um, in verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So here is one of those places or verses I was thinking of in terms of, um, you know, Jonathan's um, uh, comment on the Job 26 verse, like where you have the word 
So when we see by the word, I mean, this is one of the places, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. This is clearly one of the sources for John when he's writing that description of the word in the beginning of his gospel. But the second half of it, by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So, you know, you have this emphasis on the word um, and the word's creative power. You know, all things were being made by this word. and But you also have this breath. Um, anything else you, you notice about that verse? Yeah, Jamie. Yeah, and notice here that, um, you know, again, they're kind of, the work's kind of distributed. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, you know, kind of like, the material comes into existence by the word. Um, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And you know, so some people sort of look at this, and as we think about creation, um, the spirit is, is always being described as, as the one who is helping to, to you know, again, breath, to fill this world with life. Um, it's not making... Uh, it's not the um, ex nihilo, you know, making things out of nothing. Um, that's the word and the power of the word. But it's the spirit that's being um, talked about as the one who gives life. Um, so, uh, you know, one person said this, creation is by God's word and God's breath. The psalmist here parallels the breath of the spirit of God to the work of God's word and creation. The first chapter of John's gospel asserts that Jesus was that creative word from whom all things were made. The spirit is that animating principle which gives life. The spirit's not fashioning the material things, but is bringing them life, breathing breath into them. Without the breath of God, creatures cease to exist. Um, so, so there, again, this passage emphasizing the breath God, the life-giving breath of God. Um, the final one I want look, us to look at um, this morning is also from the Psalms, um, and this is a slightly bigger account. So Psalm 104. So this entire psalm is this, you know, it starts, bless the Lord, O my soul, O my Lord, O Lord my God, you are very great, and then it ends. Um, in verse 35, bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Um, so in the midst of this psalm, um, um, you know, this wonderful psalm that praises God for his greatness in creating and sustaining the world, we get this statement in the middle of it, or um, verse 24 um, is where I'll start, and I'll read to verse 30. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So in this praise, um, praising of God, um, what role do we see the psalmist assigning to God's spirit in the work of creation? Yeah, again, that kind of idea that creation, you know, is both a kind of one point in time thing, but also being this kind of constant uh, 
work of God. Um, let me see, I had a quote um, somewhere. Um, Creation is not just an event that occurred in the beginning at the foundation of the earth, but is God's continuing activity of sustaining creatures and holding everything in being. That without God, um, nothing exists. And in this case, without the spirit, um, nothing lives. Good. What else would you say about the work of the Holy Spirit um, as described? Yeah, and notice how in this psalm, um, that dependence issues forth in praise, or knowledge of that dependence you know, issues forth in praise. You know, this whole psalm is about, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, this uh, uncontainable joy, you know, at the realization of who God is and what God has done. And part of that is, you know, the work, of, of the spirit um, that, and, you know, and once you have that understanding of that dependence upon the spirit, it, it issues forth into to praise and worship of that spirit. Um, and, you know, as I, I kind of structured the, you know, these passages that we would end on that one to purposely think about how it's not just a, you know, I don't ask what's the spirit's role in creation just so we can have the spirit doing something or there's some kind of, you know, I need to prove that the spirit's involved in creation. But because but I want us to understand um, how the spirit's uh, role um, in giving life issues forth in our praise of God and our worship of God and our dependence upon that spirit to give us life. And and this goes back to again to my big aha moment um, you know early earlier um, that this the work of the spirit doesn't change with the fall. Um, that the spirit is still working toward that same perfecting life-giving end. Um, and that the dependence of creation upon the spirit is still there. We still need that same spirit to give life, both um, in creation and in the sustaining of creation, but also in the work of redemption. And we often think about that life-giving in terms of redemption, but it's you know it's mind-blowing to think of that. That's what the spirit does in general. You know that all life that we experience, um, that all life is dependent on the active role of God's spirit working in creation. we be reduced to inanimate matter. Um, yeah, and to think that it's this, it's the work of the spirit giving life. Um, one of my, uh, um, yeah, I guess it's one of, I'll put it on one of my favorite books. Or it was kind of one of those books that you read and I had no idea about the story until we read the story. And you're like, wow. Um, how many of you have ever heard of HeLa cells? Like, you ever heard of HeLa cells? Like just general? Dana's heard of them. Um, HeLa cells are the only human cells they've been able to get to reproduce um, in a lab. They thought they had developed other cells that they could get to, to grow, you know, outside of, they're the only human cells that they've got to grow 
outside a human body. So they've been, you know, every major medical discovery of the last 50 years are because of HeLa cells. Um, HeLa is the name of a woman, <laughs> or short for the name of a woman, uh, Henrietta Lott, a black woman from Virginia who went into a um, uh, um, free medical clinic in Virginia um, for treatment for her cancer. And it's something to do with the combination of cancer and her, her cells um, that al allow them, like she had a, a really aggressive, rapidly growing form of cancer. And, and those cells just keep on growing. <laughs> Every time they thought they've come up with another set of cells they've grown in the lab, they've gone back and done DNA testing and figured out, no, those were just HeLa cells that infected other cells. And that, you know, you read this story and you're like, that's amazing <laughs> that one, that we can't do it. <laughs> and two, that, you know, it's this kind of, you know, you know, in this one circumstance, you know, this one person, you know, in, in one sense, um, and the name of the book is the, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lott. So even though she died um, and you know, died of her cancer and was buried in obscurity and all her children and grandchildren, um, uh, you know, it's kind of really horrible story how they remain in poverty. They've never gotten, they didn't even know. Um, and then to find out that pretty much every major medical discovery of the last 50 years is because of your mother. <laughs> and in that one sense, you know, part of your mother tissue is still alive pretty much in every lab, <laughs> not in the U.S., but around the world. Um, that, that's, yeah, it's mind-blowing. And it shows how little we understand what life is. Um, and um, and we, we certainly don't have the ability to create it, um, to animate it. Um, it has to be something outside of us. It has to be the work of God. And I think the scripture is specifically adducent to the role of the spirit in giving life. Yes, Ed. Right, but then the next verse, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. So that, again, it's the same word, you know, um, breath and spirit, you know. Um, and we saw earlier that it's the spirit that breathes into them. I, I think our having breath is due to the Holy Spirit giving us breath. And so when that spirit takes away breath, you know, again, as the Jerry said in, in you know, Genesis 2-7, God breathed breath <laughs> into the nostrils of the man, and you went from this thing to a person. You know, you went from, from matter to, um, to, to living being, you know, matter and soul. Um, and, and that's what the spirit does, um, that the spirit is the one that, that brings life, and without that spirit, there is no life. Um, that's a good question. Um, let me, uh, let me uh, cheat uh, <laughs> and look up the answer. Um, no, I, uh, that reminds me of a quote um, that um, uh, the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and here he's summarizing the. Pr um, it's in a chapter he calls the principle of life in the creature, and that principle is the Holy Spirit. And this is what this is how he um, um, parsed it out. And so, let me read that, and then we can kind of work through and try to answer your question. So wherefore the spirit's work leading the creature to its destiny includes an influence upon all creation from the beginning. And if sin had not come in, we might say that this work is done in three successive steps. First, impregnating inanimate matter. 
Second, animating the rational soul. Third, taking up its abode in the elect child of God. So they are kind of the spirit has, you know, it, it's, it's taking inanimate matter and making it alive. It's what makes our souls live um, and that it's, you know, taking up its permanent residence in God's elect. Now, um, the way we are meant to be body and soul, like Adam was not in the image of God until he, he, he lived. You know, just, you know, it's not the image of God means like he didn't just like kind of carve him, <laughs> you know, in his likeness. It's that, that life. And um, as human beings, body and soul are meant to be together. Um, you know, um, and that's what makes death unnatural. That's the way um, um, uh, uh, one of my seminary professors, um, Knox Chandler, used to talk about. You know, we, we sometimes act as if death is a natural thing. No, death is unnatural. You know, it's the curse of sin. And death does this unnatural thing of dividing body from soul. Um, and what happens um, with Christ's second coming and the perfection of all things is that body and soul will once again be united. So, um, so in a sense, there's a temporary separation of body and soul. It doesn't mean the soul ceases to exist, but it's no longer attached to the body. Um, you know, to be to be um, absent from the body for believers is to be present with the Lord. So we're not trapped six feet under the ground. You know, uh, that soul um, is in the presence of the living God. That's our hope. Um, but that's not a natural state, and that's why there has to be this, you know, second coming and this resurrection of the dead that we confess, you know, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, that's our hope, that our bodies will be raised and perfected and that um, our bodies and souls will once again be united in the way they're intended by design, you know, and that death is this unnatural curse um, that we suffer because of our sin, that Christ has come, and by Christ's life and resurrection um, undoes that curse. All right, well, we're at our time, so I, I need to close. But um, just to go back to something that um, James said earlier and sort of talked about that dependence, you know, um, the kind of takeaway point I want us to have is to, um, to really appreciate the role of the spirit in, in, in creation and especially in the bringing of life and to think about how that, that same spirit that you know, animates us, that makes us alive, is that same spirit that um, allows us to worship God, that animates us. You know, um, we use the word energized earlier in here, but um, that allows us to, to, to engage in worship with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that's my kind of prayer as we end, is that um, uh, as we learn about the Spirit's role in creation, that our response will be uh, worship. So let's pray.